With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest Fancast pre-match. It's your host, Little Dan, and as always, well, from now on, it's been a big move for us. We're working alongside the 90-minute network uh, across social media. Uh, thanks again to our uh, sponsors, the Sports Shop Kings Winford. On this week, I've got former Tottenham and Wolves attacking midfielder, winger, just all-round baller, Rowan Ricketts. How are you doing, Rowan? I'm wonderful, brother. It's a pleasure to come on the show again. Where, where are you still based at the moment? Is it back Canada, is it? Yeah, I'm in Toronto, Canada. I was, came back to live here in 2017 as I have um, children that are born here. So you're still doing coaching for young lads? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I've got uh, my own academy, the Ron Ricketts Academy. We do a lot of um, online training, virtual training, and we do in-person stuff where we work on um, young player development. I also do a lot of work in the commercial world of sports, mainly in football, looking for um, big companies that want to be corporate partners with teams in the Premier League, La Liga or the MLS. Um, so I've got a big deal that we're trying to work on at the moment. Um, and what else do I do some TV work over here? Yeah, so I'm a UEFA A licensed coach also. Obviously, you had a brief period at Wolves. If you, if you were looking back on yourself at Wolves, did you have an, an eye on coaching back then or was it something that you fell into after retirement? No, I never had an eye on coaching back then and I wish I did. Um, I am an advocate now of telling young players that start your coaching badges super early, which pre people told us. But, you know, when you're a young boy running around making a lot of money, fame, a lot of distractions you can sometimes forget to uh, plan for your future. Um, I was always extremely inquisitive um, about the game and knowing more, but I didn't take time to learn more about coaching back then. But now I absolutely love it. It's um, been a really natural transition for myself. I've seen a few of your like sort of Insta-live videos with... Um... The kids train, they seem to be enjoying it. You seem to be enjoying it. So I hope that continues to go well. Let's um, jump right back to the start to when you were a young lad. Um, how did you how did you get spotted originally? I know you started your youth career at Arsenal, but where did it begin before that? So, yes, yeah, so I'm from a place of South London, Brixton, Clapham. I'm born in Clapham. Mum lives in Brixton. Um, and I was... I was playing... I was playing um, for a team called South London Select. No, originally I was playing for my school, Larkwood Junior School, and we was playing in a tournament, a five-side tournament in a place called Brixton Ferndale. And I was playing maybe age group or two age groups up. 
And there happened to be a team there that were called South London Select. And a few of the players from that team, who in the end, we all, a lot of us went on and played for Arsenal's youth team and one or two. I think one of them made their debut for Arsenal's first team. They were playing in this team. And they saw me playing and they came up to me when we was on a bit of a break and they said, hey, where are you from and what's your name? And they ended up coming up to me and introducing me to their coach, whose name was Bill Golland. Bill Golland then got my family's number, took my number and got in contact with my mum. And then they invited me down to train them with um, South London Select, made the team and then I became a main part of the team. And the coach, Bill Golland, who was extremely connected to Arsenal um, because of the players that he'd recommended in the past, I think players like Paul Davis, uh, Kevin Campbell, he then recommended a bunch of us to Arsenal. And then we went down to Arsenal, and I think I was nine or ten years old, and then I stayed with them for, I think it was eight or nine years from then. And it was a phenomenal journey. I had opportunities to go to other teams. Like um, before that, Millwall, Chelsea, um, who's the other one? Villa. And then as I got older, I had, when I was playing for Arsenal, I had opportunities to join Ajax and Arsenal didn't allow that to happen. But yes, yeah, so I stayed with Arsenal um, for eight years, eight, nine years. You made one first team appearance for Arsenal, is that correct? Against the, um, how, how do I word this? <laughs> um, the the Londoners' favourite club, Man United. Yeah, you know. Well, in the league, in the yeah, league yeah. cup, they got Man United. We got the likes of Phil Neville, Dwight York, and a few others playing that day in Arsenal, with a few youngsters, including yourself, uh, and a decent striker called Sylvan Wiltord up for an absolutely demolished Man United that night. Four four nil was it? Four one? I think it was four one. Four one or four nil? Yeah. It was interesting because I think we had a game. I don't know if we had a youth cup game. I can't remember what we had, and then a reserve game, and then it was at Highbury. And Arsenal Wenger asked, he named a few players, and he said it goes stay behind. I can vision it now in my head. It was just inside the Arsenal Stadium, the main entrance, and he said, Rowan, this one, this one, this one, stay behind. And it was like, wow, you know, it's like it was a good feeling. Um. And then we was training. I was meant to start the game, actually. And I was meant to start the game. I was playing central midfield. And Sylvain Wiltord, not Sylvain Wiltord, sorry, um, Gianni Van Bronckhurst was meant to play left back. And I don't know what Gianni said to the coach. I don't know what happened. And Giovanni said, and then Weng, said something, and Wenger changed it, and he put me left back in training. And then he put, um, Giovanni Van Broekers set him in field. And then, from there, when we was training, he then took, I think he took me out of the team because I wasn't naturally left back. I was a central midfield player. And then he took me out of the team and he put someone in at left back. I don't know if it was Giovanni. I can't remember who it was. And then I ended up being sub and then I was going to come on earlier and then, a, a, was it? I think my mate, it might have been John Halls, got sent off. That's right, and that yeah. made, yeah, got that messed things up for me. Anyway, I ended up coming on, but I think I even ended up coming as a left back. I can't remember exactly. I think I came on as a left back. Um, it was good to get my debut. Um, Wenger, he had a big, big influence on me and a lot of the players at the time, not just the club. Like, 
just the, like that youth team, we were very fortunate. A lot of the young technical players were very fortunate that Winger came in at that time and changed the philosophy and the identity of the club. I actually had played for Arsenal's first team at 16 years old against Barnet. That was my first game. It wasn't an official game, but it was a friendly game. And I was like playing centre midfield. I think it was with Vieira, and I was I was really good that day. And um, and I thought I was going to move on quicker than than I did because that was what was said to me by some of the coaching staff. Wenger was a big fan of me, but then things changed. And then at the time, Arsenal was one of the biggest clubs in the world. You know, like sorry, not clubs. They are one of the biggest clubs. They're the biggest teams in the world, and that was what made it very difficult to break into that squad um, as a regular squad player or even a starter. So, I mean, you talked about working under the likes of uh, Wenger. You are one of a handful of players who have crossed the divide from Arsenal to Spurs. You've worked under the likes of Glenn Ardell, uh, David Play, Mignol, Jacques Santini. What's your memories from working under those four and who sort of got the best out of you? Good, good, good question. Um, definitely not David Pete. He didn't get the best out. Well, well it's funny you say that. That's crazy, actually. My goals that I scored, the two goals that I scored for Spurs came under David Pete, um, which is crazy. Very ironic. But um, that was the one I least liked. Um, Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle got the best out of me. Glenn and, and Martin Yo. But definitely I would say Glenn, because Glenn understood me. You know, he understood what type of player I was. And he understood that I needed to kind of be given a freedom to, to, to not have a free role, but to go and create. And I needed to be in the middle of the park because I had an eye for a pass. I could go by people. I could play off both feet. And I would get close to people. I'd um, put a shift in. Um, so Glenn understood that by help that Glenn was a similar, not a similar player to me, but he was an offensive player creative player, flair player. So a flair player understands a flair player. And he created um, a system that allowed me to flourish. But I was, it's, it's very unfortunate that Glenn got sacked six games after I had played. Like that, that's crazy. That changed my career in a huge way because if Glenn stays there, like when Glenn was there, I never came off. When I started, I never came off the pitch. I started games, never came off. So I was never sub, uh, like during when I started that season, and I never came off. And I played against Liverpool, Wade, Gerard, the whole the whole gang there, Lampard, when I was playing at Chelsea, McAlele, the Saeed. I was playing against these big clubs, and he and he believed in me so much, right? And I repaid him back. I won Young Premier League Player of the Month back-to-back for Scotland. Then I won Young Premier League Player of the Season, but he had left by then. But... Glenn knew how to get the best out of me, but we're very, I was very unfortunate. And Glenn was, he got sacked. And then David Pleat came in and he just changed everything, just went upside down. I did score a couple of goals while he was there, but it was a nightmare because he plays a different formation. He doesn't, he's not looking at the, the, the players and the style that he wants to play. He's more thinking about, can we get results? Steady the ship type of guy. Um, and he doesn't put the best players in the team and work a formation around it. I don't know if he's got that depth, much depth to him or if he's lazy and doesn't want to work that way. Glenn would really get in and work the, the players and work the system. And so he was on another level. Um, and then David Pleat, he threw me out on the wing. 
And now when you look at football now, it's changed and you don't really see, like, if you have someone like me on the wing who's a, is an attacking central midfield player, predominantly right foot, but can use my left, that kind of guy would be on the left wing today, like coming in onto his strong foot. Or if you put me on the right, you'd say, okay, Ron, we know you're central midfielder. These are your tendencies. This is what you're strong at. They'll say, okay, Ron, you're on the right, but you can come and drift in. There was none of that. So it's like, it was really prophetic and um, very, um, um, I want to say, shallow-minded of David Pleat to not even see that. So if you you can't put me on the right and say, okay, sprint down the right wing like Sean Phillips. That was never my attributes. You know, there was way more to my game than that. So he didn't really help me in that case. And then he was very spiteful, very vindictive. Um, like I said, there's a lot. Of, I'm going to be doing my Ron Ricketts uh, podcast, the Ron Ricketts show very soon. Thanks to you helping me out. Getting it all oh, organized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Um, and I'll be talking about a lot of these small stories because David Pleat, he was a bit of an arsehole, if I'm being honest, and very vindictive. And people started to see it, like players, Jamie Redknapp, um, Robbie Keane, and other players, um, Ledley King, uh, Anthony Gardner, they could see what he was doing, like, but they didn't understand why he was doing it. And neither did I. And I was a young guy. So if anything, I needed guidance. You know, I needed someone that would, take care of me, put their arm around me and guide me. But he was literally just trying to, trying to make things difficult for me. Young boy coming up in a game who was an asset to Tottenham. Um, so, yeah, so they, they, then, he, then he left and then Jacques Santini came in with Martin Yo. Um, Jacques Santini was the, the head, head coach, like the manager. And he spoke no English. And he was extremely defensive and conservative. In terms of his playing style, it was ridiculous. Like literally, I remember he had he had put his way. If it wasn't if it if he had stayed at Tottenham longer, you'd never seen Michael Carrick playing for Man United. This guy had Michael Carrick in the reserves. He had Michael Brown. No disrespect to Brownie, if you see this, um, but footballers, I think we know who are better players. I mean, and Brownie's a certain type of player. Did extremely well for Sheffield United. Scored a lot of goals. Goals, but he's not a better footballer than Michael Carrick. No chance. Massively, uh, massively but, underrated Michael Carrick. Massively. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And M Michael Carrick, could Michael Skype score 18 goals for Sheffield United? I don't think so. Um, but he's a better footballer than Carrick, a better footballer than Michael Brown, a certain type of player. Anyway, he had Michael Brown in the centre midfield with another defensive player. He had Sean Davis in there. Sean Davis is a good footballer. But he was very defensive-minded. So a guy like me, who's offensive, uh, and I am quite diminutive, it wasn't going to happen. And he, it was just not happening. Then he got... But I knew Martin Yo loved me. He liked me a lot. He was always like, Hey, Rohan, you are an Ajax player. You are an Ajax player. You have Ajax style. You keep going, keep working. And um, then he got the job. Because until they got rid of him. I thought Martin Yaw was in the room with me then for a minute. That impression was was up there. <laughs> yeah, Martin, I know. Martin Yaw got the job and he put me in a team. He said, hey, little guy, you're going to be in a team. You're the main guy. You're the guy. You're the, you're the most talented guy we have here, your ability. But you need to learn how to make your own show. But every time I see the bird, it's fucking flapping. The bird's flapping. That is to say this phrase, this phrase that the bird was flapping in my head. And he just said to a few of us, you're the younger players, Mark Yates, 
Um, it was interesting uh, when he said it. Um, but now, as I'm older, I understood kind of what he meant. Um, and I wish that he had sat me down more and, you know, spoke to me. And, like, and that's a big part of coaching where I am excelling and developing myself in is to be able to get into the minds of the individual and get on their level so you can help guide them out of that conditioning that they've had since they're probably a boy, like a young boy. And that will help them achieve their potential because, like, he used to say things to me, but they were on the fly. And I never really took it upon myself to go and, like, look at myself and say, you know what, I need to listen to guy because he really believed in me. And, and if I had took a leaf out of, for example, my, my teammate Jermaine Defoe's book, Defoe was a consummate professional. Like, he was in early. I would get in early, but he was an extra early doing stuff before in the gym, whereas I wasn't really that guy. I was more relying on my natural talent and I was strong anyway, whereas Jermaine was feeling like it has to take it to another level. And 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 whether that be before training or after training working in his finishing, I wasn't really that way inclined. And I remember Martin Yo noticing that and saying stuff to me, but I didn't really capture it, you know. And uh, um yeah, so then he was at the club, he got he, he got he got a lot, out, a lot out of me as well. But then I remember I got a bit of an injury. Uh, was it against Man United? I can't remember what it was. I got a bit of an injury and that kept me out for maybe five, six weeks. And then it was hard to get back in. And then they went in a different direction. They wanted to get some wingers in. And I wasn't really a winger. And he was playing a certain system. So I went to uh, to, to Glen Odell, to Wolves. And then he brought in uh, Aaron Lennon. He brought in Wayne Routledge. Um, and then I went... Um, I had an extra year on my contract, or two years. But I went to go and join Wolves with Glen, you know? Yeah, I'll quickly drag you back towards um you just at your time at Tottenham and you mentioned him there. What was it like um playing alongside Wolves legend Ro Robbie Keane? Did you also play alongside Dean Richards there? Oh yeah, man. Rest in peace, Dino. Dino was a lovely guy, man. Dino was a lovely guy. Like, you know, like some like listen, in football you got some you got some really good players, you got some so so players. Um, I'm talking about talent-wise. We're all professionals, so we all uh, got a respectable level. And then you've got some people that are arrogant, like extremely arrogant. And then you've got people that are very humble, you know, and just regular. You know, they don't get caught up their own ass and caught up in their fame. And Dino is one of those humble, regular guy, just cool. Dino is cool. And I was a young boy, right? So he would look after me, you know, and talk to me and. Yeah, man. Rest in peace, man. He's a lovely guy, man. Lee and Dino. <laughs> and he's a warrior as well. So, yeah, I was with Dino at Wolves. And Robbie, I was with Robbie at Spurs. Robbie, legend. Like, when I say legend, player-wise, phenomenal. If Robbie, Robbie is a huge name. But if Robbie was Brazilian, even bigger. Massive. Like, I'm talking about, like, wonderful talent, skills, step-overs, drag-backs. All, all sorts of stuff. Flick it over your head. He was a Brazilian. He's like an Irish Brazilian. Then, what stands out for me was what he did for me. I spoke to Robbie in a long, long time, but and I wanted to tell him thank, and I'll, I'll tell him thank you for this because I told him I think back then I was on fire the season before I got my debut. Didn't get my debut that year, and then we went away to South Africa, and 
I remember that at the, the beginning of the season, Glenn Odell said to me, look, Ron, you're a rough diamond. Like, you can be a massive player for us. You're a rough diamond. You've got to smooth out a few things just in your game, but you can do things that no one can do. You know, you can do things um, in this team that no one can do. Um, keep working hard. I'm going to give you opportunity. Um, I've got David Pleat, he said, working against you. But you, I'm going to take, take care of you. I started to train. I was on fire, training hard, grafting. There was people like Tim Sheridan, Tiddy Sheridan there, Les Ferdinand. They could all vouch for this and vouch for me for this. And then they had spoken about me as well, those guys. And we went to South Africa and I was literally training out my skin. And I never knew. I was just grafting, right? And there was Gus Poyet was there in front of me in the team, Simon Davis, Darren Anderton. Um, I think maybe Stefan Freund. There was a few players. Um, and Robbie Keane and Jamie Redknapp, who were roommates, they went up to Glenn Hoddle and they said, look, this young lad, he needs to be given a chance. You've got to put him in the team. Robbie said to him, if I was doing what he was doing, I'd have chucked it in already. Because I was on, like, I'm not even um, blowing smoke up my own ass. I was like, I was on fire. Like, I was young, hungry, fit, just on fire and expressing myself. And, you know, I really, really wanted it. And those guys saw it. Robbie and Jamie was also a big admirer of mine. And they went to Glenn and they told Glenn. And then Glenn told John Gorman. And then John Gorman came to me. And um, John Gorman told me. And then I went up to uh, the guys. And I knocked on their hotel room door and I went in there. So listen, guys, I just want to come in to say thank you. I'm a young guy from a ghetto neighborhood in South London. And like for you lot to do that for me is a big, big deal. So I just want to say I'm grateful. And they said, Ron, you deserve it. Um, just keep your head down, keep working hard. And hopefully um, you get your opportunities sooner rather later because you deserve to be in the team. And they said, just be patient because Glenn needs to get some results. And that will make it easier for you to get a team. Um, but we came back, and then I, I played against Sport in Lisbon, and then I played against, um, in a preseason friendly, then I played against PSV. Uh, no, PSV, then Sport in Lisbon. And then I got to start in the first game, few games of the Premier League, and kept playing for a while. Um, and, yeah, so shout-out to Robbie Keane, the, the Irish-Brazilian. I thought you were going to call him the Irish R9 then. And I was like, I know Robbie Keane's good, but he ain't that good. <laughs> he's more like, he's kind of like the, the Irish Romario. We'll give I was going to say Bebeto then. I was going to say Bebeto. Yeah, more skilled than Bebeto. Right, let's quickly get back to Wars. How did the loan move originally come about? With your move to Wars, obviously Glenn Odell, I imagine, was, was heavily involved. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn like... It was simple, right? So my my agent, who's still close to me till today, Eric Waters. Um, Eric Waters, um, phenomenal agent, and he just you know kept his um, air to the ground and knew that Glenn was at Wolves and he's looking for that type of player. Phoned up, I think it was James Moxie. James Moxie was at the time. Yeah. And like, yeah, they spoke and they found out what the money was earning and stuff, and then. Glenn just said, cool, um, look, I want to get him down there. And I think at the time I just came off injury. So it was like a couple months to the end of the season. And for me, it was a no-brainer. I didn't want to leave the Premier League. 
but I wanted to be where Glenn was because Glenn understood me. He plays football. Like Glenn is a phenomenal coach and way before his time, you know, he's he's a visionary. He's uh, also like a bit of a protege of um, Wenger and his style because he played for him before uh, in France, but he's just, he's just phenomenal. And when I found out that he wanted me alone, I just wanted to play every footballer wants us to play. And I went down there and it was just, it was amazing. I had an opportunity actually to go to, I had an opportunity to go to Reading. I had an opportunity to go to, what's the other team called? Sheffield United. Yeah. I had an opportunity to go to those clubs. Um, I had an opportunity to go there alone. And you know what's crazy? I, I, Reading was interested. David Pleat stuck the spanner in the works there. Slimeball. And then there was a time where, um, and how he did it was why I say Slimeball, because anyone that um, is listening to me and they um, might think, oh, why is he speaking like that about old uh, members of staff? I mean, must be bitter. It's not about bitter. It's how people dealt with people. Like, he was an extremely spiteful man. Um, and, um, that's why I'm um, I'm a bit bitter, I'd say, uh, like a final about a time. And then I was going to go Sheffield United. I remember Neil Warnock. He was like, oh, no, he's a, he said to Eric Waters that my age is, no, he's a bit lightweight. He's a bit lightweight to play centre midfield. That's what Neil Warnock said anyway. So I went to Wolves, played on loan, ripped it up, played against Sheffield United. This is what football's for. Played against them at Molyneux, tore them to pieces, ran rings around a lot of them. And then I, I remember, I'm trying to get the video clip of uh, the of that game uh, because I remember playing against um, Nick. I actually met Nick on my course. I remember Nick Montgomery and me sent him in the field. I must have got the ball and took off, bam, shoulder to shoulder. Nick hits the floor and I just take off running. And it was crazy because like people have this perception, the same perception uh, what's that guy's name? Jackson Tini had about um, David Pleat had about small diminutive guys like me or like you look at a player like Iniesta nowadays, Javi. These guys were small guys, technical guys. They said, "Oh, they can't play in centre midfield." Like managers have, like if Iniesta or Javi was at Tottenham back then, they wouldn't have came through because in that position, they probably would have tried to slide them out to right back because they don't work on the the, the, the playing style to fit the good footballers. Um, then I've done well against Sheffield United. What happened after my long spell? Wolves gave me an offer. Sheffield United gave me an offer. Um, who's the other one? I think it might have been Reading. And was there another team? And basically, Sheffield United went from saying I was too lightweight to here's a direct offer, which is crazy. Um, and then I picked Wolves. Guess who got promoted? That automatically Sheffield United. Yeah, that's that's football. Yeah. So moving to Wolves was the was your first time living alone out, out, outside of London. How did you find that move originally? Where whereabouts did you live in Wolverhampton? Do you remember that? Um, I lived in uh, what's it called? Um, uh, there's a place called uh, Techno. Yeah, it's not, not far from the training ground then. Yes, I lived there. I also lived in the mailbox. Yeah. In Birmingham. Oh, I miss some of the restaurants over there. Um, so I lived in the mailbox for a while and I lived in a place, Techno. There's another place 
Is, say say somewhere in Wolves, in Wolverhampton. I think the majority of the footballers either live in Compton or Purton now. Oh, no, no, no. I, I remember the name Compton, but Techno. And there was somewhere else where I think I lived periodically. And then I, I had a good stint, a long stint in the mailbox. Uh, but yeah, living living alone for the first time was interesting. But well, I was alone, but I had a partner that I was with for a long, long time. She was with me from my Arsenal days, and then then went on Spurs, and then Wolves, Barnes, and then not sure. So she was with me, but I was I was a bit of a I was a difficult kind of boyfriend at the time. So we was together, but um, it was tough, you know. Like so, she was with me, and then we broke up, and. And then I had a friend living with me for a while when I was in Wolves in, in, in the mailbox. But yeah, so living living together, living by myself was it was good and bad. But I, looking back now, in the hindsight, I wasn't um, I wasn't mature enough. I, I I could be by myself, but I wasn't mature enough to maybe stay as focused as I needed to be. Just you know, I, looking back now, I still needed to develop as a person, like a lot. You know, to 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 realize my potential at the time. So, who were the sort of players that that stood out for you as sort of um, well, not 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 just from a an ability point of view, just um, looking after you, giving you guidance. I know we spoke about Paul Ince massively in the past. Uh, any stories on him and who else stood out for you? Paul Ince, phenomenal. From the first day I got into the club, he kind of put his arm around me. Well, first thing he did actually was put his studs through me. He smashed me. He, um, I came in training. I think it was the first session, and I megged him. Like, it was a dirty nutmeg, and he smashed me straight up, like bang. He goes, "Don't you ever try to do that again to me, son?" And he picked me up, right? But um, but he looked after me. He was extremely complimented of me, and like you know, I, I miss that guy. I miss talking to him. I'm gonna go find his number from someone. And, See how he he's doing and his wife and his kids. Um, so Incy, Courty, Carl Court, he was someone. He's someone I still speak to to this day. Um, Courty is another one. He's one of the guys. He's very like Incy's. So you know, like Incy's. Uh, he's full of himself, but in a in a for me, he's in a in a, a humorous way. So you know, he believe you know he. Well, you know, a lot of the time, Paul Ince backed it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ince is a guy like, like some might say, he's arrogant. I just think extreme confidence, and he's a show of himself. He says what he's thinking. He's a real leader. He's a real captain, like serious guy. And and then he's got his banners, like unbelievable. Um, where and then he's in your face. Whereas you got Carl Court, not in your face, very tranquilo, as we say in Spanish. But genuine guy, and yeah, me, me and Courtney, uh, we speak here and there. He's over living in Vegas at the moment. Then there is Jolien, another guy, very mellow, very real, down to earth guy. Um, and I know after all the fame, I would predict that he's the same. You know, he just seemed like he had a good grounding, um, very professional, and you could always see that he was destined for bigger things. Um, and we used to be like good. Uh, we used to play a lot, mainly on 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 the PlayStation. So we would talk and have fun. But we used to any time that we shared together uh, outside of the pitch, we would have been playing um, 
Who's you playing back there? I don't know. We I don't think we were playing FIFA. We were playing uh, probably Pro Evo football. back then. Yeah, yeah, Pro Evo, hardcore. Though. Me and him used to go hard. Um, I wonder if he's still into the games now. Um, who else is there? George M D. George and Darwin's cool guy. Shayla Finiana. Um, who else was there? Jackie Mack, Cameron. Darren Anderton was a good guy. You know, he would, he would help um, guide. He was very, he's mellow though, but he would be there trying to, you know, give bits of information there. Matt Murray, phenomenal. Yeah, so there was, there was loads. There was loads of Robert Edwards. But then one of the, so talent-wise, if the quickly NC, very talented. When I say very talented, it was, it, NC's known for smash bang wallet. But he's got a very high technical level. Very high. Both feet. Got a bit of trickery. He's just not elegant with it. But he's got a lot of strings to his both Free kicks. Corners. He's got a lot of stuff to his But And he's from Smasher. Megia. One, twos. He's got a lot in his game. And no one really, I think, appreciates. I don't think a lot of people appreciate that. And he had to play with him to do it. Obviously, uh, what's it? oh Miller, Kenny Miller was a baller as well. Nails, Lee Naylor, and then another player he was really good, but maybe soft in his in his approach. Sometimes was um, um, Soul. So he was with, but then one of the young player that I love, and I called him the, um, and this guy, I would have. Could have maybe for me gonna play for England if his career had gone a different path. Do you know who it is? Mark Davis. Mark Davis. Baller. Yeah. Listen, that guy. I spoke to him. I don't know, five six months ago. Um, because he's he's okay. what a player. Oh, what a player that boy was. So he was like my protege. He was a young boy, and he he always, we said to him, he said to me the other day on the phone because I remember coming up. I used to look up to you because you were similar style and playing. You was playing my position. And he was just, he could just go by people. He could carry the ball 50, 60 yards and just, just go strong. And I thought that boy, I just call him the English in the yes, I thought that he could go on and play for England. And there was a point where Liverpool, no one knew this, Liverpool was interested in him. But I don't know why Brendan Rodgers didn't pull the trigger and buy him. But um, yeah, he was, he was special. Um. You haven't mentioned one of my favourite all-time Wolves players during your time. I think he might have been captain that season. Um, Mark Kennedy? Oh, Sparky. Yeah, Sparky was a good footballer. So it's just so many. Wand of a left foot. Oh, wand of a left foot. Um, could run. Strong. Personality. Good fella. Good guy. Yeah, he was a good footballer. Lovely left foot passing. and Could just strum the ball effortlessly. Um, yeah, he was a really good player. So he was, he was, yeah, I think he was captain maybe the next year when, 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 when Incy had left. Because when Incy was there, mate, he was the skipper, he was the governor. I remember, I remember once I called him the governor and Glenn didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, playing, uh, playing to the ego sort of thing. Yeah, Wolves, exactly. Wolves just missed out on the, um, the playoffs under Glenn because purely we didn't have a, uh, a proper air to now goal scorer. You mentioned Cole Court. I think he struggled with injuries. Um, the Polish striker Thomas Frankowski just no matter what he's tried. Clarky, just well. Clarky we had as well. Leon Clark. Yeah, Leon Clark. I went to school with uh, Frankowski. Just couldn't score for fun. Kenny Miller. I think um, 
I think he might have struggled with injuries. Me too, Ron Ricketts, not not scoring any goals. And, and when you now looking back, like I said, we didn't qualify, we didn't go to the playoffs. We we were the best team in the league, and I'm not saying on paper. On paper was, but the football was playing as well. We were the best team, but we didn't convert that being the best team into goals. And so there was, you could look at Kenny, put point a finger at Kenny, Courtney, Clarky, but also you look at the finger, point a finger at me. Um, there was also who else that could get goals from midfield? Sparky, Darren. There was a lot of us, and um, uh. I think some of that we can maybe look at the coaching stuff, but I don't think. I think also the players got to look at ourselves and now knowing what I know now, I should have been focusing a lot more um, on my game and goal scoring and doing extra after training and making it a, a point of focus. Because, like I said, fifteen more goals. If I could score fifteen goals, which I had the ability to. Um, that makes a huge difference, you know. So, but it's just—it was very unfortunate because we played some sexy football. I think one of your standout games was obviously the the late winner you got away at, at Reading. I saw some comments earlier that um, Steve Coppel said if Wolves can keep Glenn Hoddle in the summer, they're guaranteed to get promoted. Uh, do you remember much of that game? And obviously, how how much did the um, did you see Glenn leaving the end of that season, and what effect did it have on you? So, so you're talking about the game where I scored, right? So that was the, that was the, that wasn't Glenn. So did Glenn go there that year? Because the next year he was there, it, but I played in, I, I played for Wolves on loan the year before he got sacked. So, so that was the year before. It was the last game of the season, last away game. Um, scored the goal. It was a good game. I was playing against some old Arsenal teammates, Stephen Sidwell and. Um, James Harper, they were playing central midfield. We played some good stuff because they were a really strong team, really tough team. And scored a wonderful goal. Uh, one of my closest friends, Christopher Ellis, he was in the he was in the crowd. Um and it was it was it was phenomenal uh, experience having a close, close friend there, being alone, scoring such a goal. And and then that kind of sealed it for me and said, okay, look, they gave me an offer. And then stay and Everyone thought Glenn was gonna like get us up, and we were gonna get up together. But like I said, like, and I think this is what happens now. Like teams are very, or oh, back then even more so. The way the way Glenn was, the 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 football that was playing, I don't think it was appreciated. Like like I said, Glenn, Glenn for me, like, I'm always honest about Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle, and he, he as a coach, he's phenomenal. Um, as a man manager, I think he lacked there, uh, and that's not having a dig at Glenn because I think we've all got our um, kind of uh, flaws. But he might have lacked there, and that might have um, trickled down into other relationships that maybe he had in and around the clubs, and then in and around the club, and then people maybe start to come after him because he he had his opinion, you know. And sometimes in football, you have to be careful how you deliver that opinion. Because some people will use that against you, or may think, you know, they just they start to create these kind of preconceived notions about you, and when the results don't go well, they start to turn on you. And because he should have, a guy of that magnitude as a coach, um, and then how he made us play, 
he should be at least given another year. This is it's, what because he didn't get promoted, he, he's out. And and yeah. then he brought Mick McCarthy in because of his track record, and Mick came in, and it was just kind of like the same kind of stuff at the time, like you know, different styles. But Glenn could have got them up. Maybe it wasn't that year, and then Mick the next year. I don't think we've even finished as high as Glenn. No, I think he was brought into steady the ship, wasn't he? And then I think he got in he do... steady the ship, and he, he came. I think he came in at the beginning of the year, though, or didn't he? Yeah. So he wasn't yeah. steady the ship. It's just, it's just. Um... No, I think he was working under more of a budget, wasn't he? I think probably Jack Howard maybe got a bit fed up with spending at that point, and Mick was brought in as a manager to work under more of a stricter budget than Glenn was, maybe. Possibly, yeah. What was your sort of working relationship under Mad Mick? Obviously, he's, he's he's always seemed to be a bit of a manager. I think it's well known that he likes a player that puts in a shift. Um, and as you said earlier, being maybe diminutive and being a bit more of a baller. Did that work against you? Do you think? Big time, big time. Like, um, but just put, let me put it out there before I go into my experiences with Mick McCarthy. I got a lot of respect for Mick McCarthy. Um, because he was a straight nose guy. He, like, not, not, like, obviously, he had a, a bit of a nose on him, but he was a straight nose guy in the sense where he just tell you how it is. He literally just tell you how it is. Straight, very honest with you, in your face, not behind your back. Loved that about Mick McCarthy, and I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from him that that I went through some stuff with Mick. Um, that. Looking back now, I learned a lot about myself. Like he put me through some stuff, not uh, deliberately, it's just because, you know, it was nothing personal, but he put me through some stuff that revealed a lot about me now when I look back. Um, but initially, when he came in, I remember him walking around the dressing room and he said, hey, Ron Ricketts, where do you want to play? I said, central midfield. He said, okay, it's the strongest position. I said, central midfield. And then a the guy just throws me where he wants to throw me. Um, he put me um, right right wing, and then he asked me to do stuff in the right wing. And I was like, like, what is this? Like, he was asking me to cross the ball. Like, he, he there's coaches that believe that know how to work with the, the better players, the better players, uh, technical players, um, creative players, and they know how to work with them and put them in a system and a team. That's also going to be solid. They, they, some coaches they know how to do that and they enjoy that. Then you have guys like Mick. Mick just wants to get the job done, so he'll look at, okay, I want to be solid, and then how can I, with this solid team, get some results? And so there's no um, aesthetic uh, kind of value to the team and the way they're going to play. It's just like let's let's get the job done. So. He would have me, who had a bit of pace, not a lot of pace, as much as people think, running down the right wing, and he said, look, before you get air, just put the ball in the box. His percentages, get the ball in the box, in the box. In the, forget getting down to the byline and dying one, no, early doors, down the line, five yards outside the box, get it in, balls in the box. So I was trying to do that, but I naturally don't think like that. Um, and so I was still trying to do it, but like it's just kind of like it was taken away from my game because 
I want to play pass a combined through balls. I'll put if I'm on the wing, I might put some and box. I might dribble in. I might play one two. Like there was way more to the game, but he wasn't interested in it. Um, and um, and it was very difficult, extremely difficult. Then he took me out of the team. And then after a little while later, he put me back in the team. And he put me on the left. And I was, like I said to you, if you've got, in my eyes, if you've got a talented attacking midfielder that's right footed, naturally can dribble, go right, go left, it's got step over, it's got ability, can pass, can cross. If you've got all this stuff, that guy, you put him on the left wing so he can cut inside, maybe go outside. Um, that's what you should do. And he did it, and it worked a treat. And I was on fire at that time and um I remember Mick done an interview where he said look um if Ron Ricketts keeps going you know I think he said if Ron Ricketts keeps going or Ron could score a few goals you're gonna have the biggest teams all coming to watch this kid and I was just on fire like literally it was just I was killing people and I'm trying to find the video footage of those games it's just gonna keep the memories for my children and I was on fire and I'm and then being on fire, I remember we drew. We have a no, we lost four games on the bounce away from home. And Mick changes the team. And I was the most on form player. I'm not saying this, this is what it was. I remember Jay Buffroyd was there at the time, a few people were there. And he goes, Why is he taking you out? I remember Matt Murray said, Why is he taking you out of the team? You're not our best player at the moment. I have a clue. But like I said to you, he didn't care that I was the best player at the time and most on form guy. It was a thing of, I need to sol- make this team solid. So he takes me on the team. We had Birmingham City away. We're losing 1-0 with this more solid team. And 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 then I came on last 10 minutes, put a cross in, bang. I think Jordy Craddock's got a head on 1-1. Then the fall, so then I'm thinking, okay, I'm at least I'm going to be on the bench again. I might be back in the team because we're at home now. I think it's Sunderland Sky Sports. I was out of the squad. I was in the stands and that was when I lost it. That was when I lost it and I was like, like, like what's, like, what's going on? How is this possible? But looking back on it now, I should have remained more professional um, and understood, like, okay, this is what can happen. And I just got to go back to the drawing board and just keep doing what I do until things turn around. That's because basically that's all I can do. But I didn't, I wasn't mature enough um, to kind of detach myself from my emotion. Because my emotion was like, going crazy and figuring what's the point in all this and running and doing all the running and if it's going to take me out of the team and that's when I kind of took my foot off the pedal a bit and I look back and say I messed up because he offered me an extension at Wolves I was meant to be at Wolves another year and I, he offered me an extension because no, the extension was in the contract and he said we're going to activate the clause for the extension and I was like okay cool but that was when I was on fire and he saw I was doing well but then when he pull me out of the team and I don't blame like I I do like think okay you was wrong to that because I was informed like what more do I do to stay in the team but then looking back now uh, I look point my finger at myself and say you know what I should have I should have just kept working on it because he brought in Michael McIndoe Michael McIndoe and McIndoe wasn't doing the business at the time but he wanted to put me back in but my head was gone and he saw that and he came and sat me down and said, look, I can see your head's gone and I don't, I don't want to, I'm not giving you the extension now because I can see that your head's not here and it's gone. And he, and he was right. Um, so that's why now I try to give young players that I coach or come across 
um, good advice when it comes to dealing with those situations because they happen everywhere. But if you don't know how to stay calm, you're gonna you're gonna shoot yourself in the foot, you know. Don't want to put <clears throat> excuse me. I don't want to put words into your mouth during that little period that you had at Wolves. If there was a hybrid of Hodlin McCarthy, would that have been a perfect manager for you at Wolves? Coaching wise to man management. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that would have been phenomenal because. Like, Glenn was honest, but he was honest in a way where if you are not strong within yourself, the way that he could work things and, you know, he's, the way that he could speak because he was so good and his expectation level was so high, he he, he might make you feel uncomfortable. Um, but then Mick was just kind of straight, you know, he was a bit more tactful with his words. And then... Glenn had the tactical nous. The way that he would deliver was phenomenal. And then he liked my style, and then he would play me centre midfield. And, yeah, it's crazy, man. But Mick, shout out to Mick McCarthy, because he's an honest guy, and I've got a lot of respect for him. So, from, uh, as I said, Mad Mick to Mad Mourinho at Tottenham this season, what's been your thoughts on him? Mourinho? Yeah, at Spurs this season. Uh, we all knew the type of manager that he was. We we know we can get results, but the Tottenham way of playing football was never really going to work under Mourinho, was it? Um, I said that as soon as they signed him out. I didn't understand why they got rid of Pochettino. Similar thing, cuidado allá. Mucho cuidado, okay? No quiero que tu caes ahí. So, um, Mourinho... Tottenham getting rid of Pochettino for me was similar to um, Wolves getting rid of um, Glenn Hardle. It's like kind of team going playing good football. Obviously, it wasn't they were in the Premier League, but he, they got them Champions League final, nearly won the league at a point. Then he had a season that didn't go so good. Then they have another person out of this by Orlando. Then he he, he they got sacked. Um, didn't understand it. Then they bring in Mourinho, who. With all due respect, he's not the Tottenham type of coach in terms of style. So it's very important to understand the identity of the club. Mourinho can go to a, a Man United, possibly a Liverpool, um, maybe a Man United. He didn't go from a Man United, but his style and how he is, especially, especially if things are not going too well, he's very, very conservative. That is not fit well with Tottenham. And so if you don't get the results, forget winning the league and qualifying the Champions League. You don't play a good brand of football. Tottenham are known for that because I always say to people, there is a lot of value in winning. But winning the Premier League, there's only one team out of 20 is going to do that. So what else do you bring to the table? Do you play a good brand of football? Like, am I going to pay money to go and watch you play this brand of football that I like to see aesthetically pleasing. And then on top of that, we might win the game. If we win the game, oh, wonderful. Obviously, I'm not going to go there and be happy that we lose every week and we and we think that's an extreme situation. But play some good football. You've got good players, but Mourinho was never that. And I was so baffled when they signed us. I, I want to see how this plays out. But it play, played out. How I thought it was going to play out, and it's not because he's a bad coach or a bad manager, because he's not. 
because um, the track record speaks differently of that. No, Santos, I see. But um, he, he, his style didn't fit with Tottenham. So, <clears throat> obviously, it's been a long, long while since um, Tottenham actually <clears throat> picked up any silverware. He would have had the chance against Man City in the League Cup. Um, is there really an, is there a, is there another coach out there in Europe that could be Pep in a one-off game? Is there another Pep? Well, you've seen um, what's his name, Tuchel. Tuchel. What's his name, Tuchel or Tuchel? The Chelsea manager. Yeah, the Chelsea manager. Well, I, I love it. Um, he he he's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, like. Like I look at things a bit deeper probably than the, the regular guy or the regular football fan because anyone can be anyone on their day and any style can be any style on their day. But I think there's value in a certain style. And that means the style that Pep goes for. Um, well, I like our Liverpool play to a degree as well. And... and Obviously, if you've got the right personnel, it can be more effective. Um, but I'm a big believer in keeping the ball. I'm a big believer in entertaining. And to entertain, I have those Messi's, the Neymar's, the... What's his name? Uh, Podens? Yeah. These type of players. Like, that's what we want to see, like, you know? And we want to win, and we appreciate the defender, and we appreciate the, the graft and the grit. But we want to see some flair. We want to see some magic. We want to see some quality one team. We want that. So to have those type of players on the pitch in abundance, you need to have coaches like the Peps that know how to how to fuse that all together. How do we have Bernard Silva, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Mares, Foden? Um, we, uh, what's his name? Rodri, uh, Fernandinho, whoever. Like, how do we have all these guys? Sterling, how do we have all these guys on the pitch but not concede a lot of goals? But we're gonna entertain. How do we do this? That's a lot of work. That's why I take my heart for people like Pep. That is a guy that's really for me, he's really coaching. And there's like, you, I could get you right now, Dan, to go and coach Wolves and say, all right, lads, we'll do 4-4-2, tighten it up at the back, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, let's get it forward. You can do that. But if I told you to go and coach Manchester City and do what they do, you're going to be scrambling me. No disrespect to you. I've taken his massive disrespect. <laughs> I haven't even got I haven't even got a Premier League title on football manager, but I'm taking massive disrespect there. <laughs> Anyone can do what Pep Guardiola does with the resources that he's had. Is 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 the the amount of money that he spent on left backs alone? You would expect him to win at least the Premier League title um, every other season as a minimum. This is his first season since Barcelona that he's got to a Champions League final when he spent close to near enough a billion pound. I understand he's got to be a special coach to keep those mass, that massive squad of players of, of top caliber all interested in working to their highest ability. You can't knock him for that, but with the resources that he's had in abundance, you would expect him to be reaching at least semi-finals of Champions League with the likes of Bayern and Man City in the last since leaving Barcelona. Yeah, I think that if you go and look and um 
if you go and watch games, which you do often, you see that, like you made a good point, a very good point. You said that, that his objective is to get them to work at a certain level collectively, individually, and then ultimately collectively to achieve an objective, which is winning silverware. That's, that's, that's to achieve the objective, but he already does his bit to get them to that level. But then there's small little details. Oh, the guy didn't put it in the top corner. Nothing to do with Pep. Oh, the guy slid across. I remember, I think it was a game against Chelsea uh, at at City. Um, the, the year when Liverpool won it. They should have beaten City. Sorry, they should have beaten Chelsea. Should have, could have, would have. They did not. But they had outplayed them. But they didn't put the ball back in the net. Missed chances. That shit, that... Those stuff are out of Pep's hands. He, like Pep says, he, Pep prepares a team to be good tactically and stuff and the morale. And then once he develops them to get them up to the last quarter of the pitch or last third, then it's on them to go and make the right decision. So, so his teams have played a certain style. They've been good. And I judge him on that over the long period. Whether they win or not, I don't judge him fully because sometimes it could be one player's bad technique that 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 then all of a sudden says, "Oh no!" Now right now people are saying, "Oh Pep, is he one of the great?" It's not that. Why? Because because the goalie played well and the defense played well and then like no, they did that before. But guess what? The striker didn't put in this year. They put it in and this year Liverpool's thing that happened. So I think that we have to um, give credit when it's due for what he makes them do. Brilliant, they won it. Now they've got to the Champions League final. Oh, okay, good, wonderful. But last year, was it last year they was in the was they in the quarters last year? Or they got knocked out? Quarters again, yeah. Who did they get knocked out to? Was it was it <clears throat> uh was it Liverpool again? Oh yeah, it might have been Liverpool. So yeah, it might have been Liverpool. I think you're right. Or was it oh no, Tottenham. Tottenham, yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, Tottenham. Tottenham. Um, and then if I, I think it was the last minute, I can't remember what it was, but if we go and watch the game, maybe Tottenham, uh, maybe Man City dominated the game, maybe they missed chances. What can he do? So one game he missed chances. Oh, my God, we're out. I know it's over two legs. But then the next game, the next year, oh, oh we scored the chances. Oh, we're in. Like, that's not on him because we've been dominating both games. So... I, I rate Pep extremely high. I do have some questions to get. I'm looking forward to interviewing him actually in Spanish um, because I've got some questions because I, I love Pep. Big I, big fan. But I also um, have some questions for him because there's some things that I don't understand why he does them and I'd like to ask him about them. I just want to quickly just have another product, Pep, before I jump back to Wolves because obviously we're a Wolves fan cast. Um, is there any other club in Europe that would have accepted Pep's first season at Man City when when you've got the likes of um, Claudio, the hologram, Bravo in goal in the Premier League, and he just completely doesn't work? Is there another is there another club that has that sort of financial backing to trust a man like Pep to go again? Was he lucky to keep his job after that first season? Um, no, I think these clubs they need to understand sometimes they're lucky to have the coach. So. Um, like a lot of clubs might not have accepted that, 
but I would think they were stupid if they got rid of him. Like, like l- l- forget Silverway. Silverway's is a bronze. Look at how he... Barcelona have always had a similar philosophy, and but look how what he achieved Silverway-wise. That, that's not the most important thing for me. The spectacle like that he brought to world football, which was then copied by Spain and the, like it was it was a whole nother level. It was new. It it changed football. And football now, when I'm watching, I wish I was born in this era where everyone's trying to play a bit of football. Everyone's trying to play out. Everyone's trying to play and break the lines. This well, this is stuff that Arsene Wenger was trying to do, but Pep done it on a whole nother level. And for that reason, when you've got someone like him at the helm, then you must got to understand, okay, is what he does or is what he strives to do taking place in terms of the style of play? Yes, it was. Did the players finish off the moves? And Maybe not. Okay. Well, well, maybe we need to change some of the players because the coach seems to be getting the guys to play in the same way, but they don't have certain things to, you know, and People talk about money that he spent on fullbacks and this and that. But this is what happens. Like, it's part of, like, you know, like, like if you're playing for, if Wolves, like, what's her name on the show? What's her name? Was it Kelly or Hank? What's her name? The uh, She wanted to get rid of Semedo. What's her name? Uh, uh, Jackie Oakley. Yeah, she said, get get rid of him. So if they've got, if he was a younger player, or they, like, if they had the funds, they'd get rid of him. They just ain't got the funds. Like, I'm not saying they would get rid of him, but if she was in charge, she would just say, you know what, play for Barcelona, but I don't like you, mate. Just buy him. But they don't have the funds. So if you have the funds, maybe a lot of you do the same. The ex- the expectation levels were too high um, with Nelson Semedo, in my opinion. I think with the transfer fee and the fact that he was coming from Barcelona, Wolves were expecting a regeneration, Cafu, I think, and it just... I think he's getting better game by game now, Nelson Samado. And I think uh, playing in the in the Premier League, which he's not used to, different culture, not having sort of um, fans in the ground, it's got to have an effect on a player of that calibre. I think he'll be um, one of our most important players going into next season. Hopefully under Nuno Espirito Santo. What's your opinions of, of him this season? How do you think he's fared under the restraints of losing Jimenez and uh, losing Diago Jota and Matt Doherty? Um... I think he's adapted well. I like him a lot as a coach. A lot. Like the way Wolves play football. Um, it's just lovely to watch. Um, he's very versatile, flexible. Like a modern day coach, he seems to um be brave when it comes to putting in um young players. Seems to be brave there if he's gotta put some in and but he just seems like he's like an all-around good man manager, and I really, um, I really want to see him stay at the club. And I think that if he stays, you'll see other players like come to the club because of what he's done. So there's going to be players, whether they be maybe Portuguese players, because obviously his background. But I think you'll see players from Europe because of what he's done, and the players that he's helped move on. Wolves will be able to attract some good players because look what they've moved on to under his tutelage. Yeah, I think our last game against Brighton, it was the first time that a Premier League team had fielded five players who were born um, from the year 2000. Don't want to make you feel old. It made me feel old. 
Um, so obviously, he has got a coach that likes to bring in young players. He was recently linked with the Tottenham job to take over from Mourinho. I don't see being a plausible appointment from Tottenham. I think he's very similar to Mourinho in his sort of um, regimented tactics. Do, do you think Nuno would do a decent job at Tottenham or who do you see taking over at Tottenham in the long term? Yeah, he does seem like he kind of fits the bill. Mm. We've got Ryan Mason in it at the moment. Depends. If they feel... like I'd go with... Look, if I knew... As the, as if I was Daniel Levy and I knew that the people felt confident in Ryan Mason, there was a respect towards him, I would sit down with Ryan Mason and consider him as a, a prospect. And I might go, Ryan, I don't know about Ledley. I'm not sure if Ledley King fancies the job. Like, I would probably do something different. Um, like I could, because And the thing about it is those guys have been at the club a while now, especially Ledley King. Um, and I would probably be tempted to go and move one of them. You know, I'm not sure what the big deal would be to go and put a Nuno ahead of a Ledley, even though he's got more experience. Doesn't mean anything. He just had he just had Jose Mourinho, who's got more experience than all of them, and he didn't do to get the job done. So, if I was them, I, I, would, I would if 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 the philosophy of Tottenham falls in line with the philosophy of Ryan Mason or a Ledley King. Give them the job. So, obviously, both teams are sort of coming towards their, their end of their season. As Tottenham are still sort of fighting for the European places. Wolves are pretty much on the beach to a degree now. Uh, how do you see the game uh, panning out uh, on the weekend? Obviously, Wolves are still, st still sort of uh, bedding in our youngsters, the likes of Fabio Silva, Vitinha. Um, what have you made the likes of those two young players that I just mentioned? I think they're good young players. Um, I think they're coming through in a system which is going to allow them to prosper because of how um, Nuno likes to play. And hopefully they can grab their opportunity um, because I, I know he's interested in giving young players a chance, but then you got to make sure you grab your opportunity. But they're good enough, they're good enough to be at that level. Um, Saturday, well, is it a game on Saturday or Sunday? I think it's Sunday. Yeah, so the, um, the Spurs-Wolves game, it's going to be a good game. I just, Spurs at the moment, they're in a dangerous, uh, no, no, they're, for me, they're more dangerous now because Ryan Mason, I've seen he's, he's more offensive. So he's more offensive, he doesn't really go too well against Leeds. Um, Leeds are very a tricky team to play against because how they play in the transitions. But they've got, um, players now they got Bell, they got um, uh, was it? Lucas Mora, and there's another one playing in the hole. They've got a more offensive team, and they think differently. So that's a more dangerous Tottenham than before. Even like I said, even though they lost three one to Leeds, so it's going to be very tough for Wolves, and they're going to be at home. And I think it's going to be a tough game. Uh, Wolves fans, don't kill me, don't unfollow me. But I think Spurs are going to win the game. Um, and I think they're going to win the game comfortably. What's your sort of mindset behind it being comfortably? It just the, the offensive players that Tottenham have, do you, do you feel Wolves are sort of lacking defensively? What's, what, what's your mindset behind comfortably? Um, 
I just think, like I said to you, the team that they set up, the personnel that they're choosing. Um, so oh, last week, for example, they had, they had on the left Son, they got Mora in, it was, I think, behind that striker or Gareth Bell, and then Mora on the right, Eva Raw. They got then Belly, but they just come from a more offensive lineup. And I think that, and then the way that Ryan, I've seen that he's trying to get it to play, they're a bit more fluent fluid in their movements and it's not as rigid. That's great for those offensive players, which I think is not good for, for Wolves. And then the fact that they're at home, I, and it's coming to the end of the season, the shackles are off, I just think it's going to be very tough for Wolves. Um, and I think they're going to, and they've got Kane there. I think it's just going to be very tough. And that being said, not taking anything away from top, from Wolves' defence, I just think that Spurs are going to be a bit too too much, too much quality for Wolves in the end. Right, considering um, that you've just upset the majority of the Wolves fan base, I'm going to set you up now. Where's Harry Kane going this summer? Harry Your favourite club, Man United? Yeah, my favourite club. Hello. <laughs> um, is he going to... So, I don't know about that, because, look, if Man United was given an extension or they're trying to do a deal with Cavani. So, will he play second fiddle next year? Yeah. But when you're playing with Kane, you're really second fiddle. Like, it's not yeah. like... It's not like a striker like him, is that? Yeah. So... If he stays at Man United, Man United's strongest team is going to be arguably Cavani up front. Like if he played as the, the, the nine, you could have Martial on the left or, or right. Stress on the left, Martial on the right, Bruno, Bruno Fernandes in the middle. The, the, or, or they're talking have, about Jadon Sancho being confirmed to Man United the, the, these last coming days. Yeah, that could be, that could be good. Or you might have Martial as the number nine with Cavani. And I think that fits with the way Man United play. Um, Kane also, I just don't know where he'd fit unless they was going to get rid of someone else. So I don't see him going to United. Man City are losing Aguero this summer. That would be good for him because I, I think he he might suit them more than he suits United. Um, but, but, Man United don't really play with a false nine, so that's where he could fit into United. But the way that Man United play football and having him up there, he's a good footballer. Carrie Kane's a very good footballer. He's not just a goal scorer. He's a very good footballer. He could, he also has false nine uh, qualities and attributes to him. So they could play him there, and he could also drop off and lend it and receive it and become someone that... Um, instigates attacks, which he's done a lot for Tottenham this season, combining with Son, mostly. But I, I think um, he probably might stay at Tottenham, you know. If, he did, if they don't get Champions League and he has a good Euro, surely he's, he, he has to leave to, to progress his own career and actually get a bit of silverware in his cabinet after he retires. Yeah, what about what about abroad? No, no I don't think he's going to go abroad. He, he might want to go for that Aaron Shearer Alan Shearer record, right? So they probably want to stay at home. But he could he could play abroad as well. So the, you, you still believe there's a good chance that if Tottenham finish outside the Champions League places, he could still be there come the start of next season. Yeah, Tottenham boy might stay there. He's been there long. They've looked after him. He, you know, might he might you know 
new coach comes in and, you know, he's the man there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying he doesn't go anywhere else he's not the man, but he's the man and sometimes when you, you, you're the main man, you love, you know, why leave? Unless it's something like big and guaranteed where you're going to play. Um, but yeah, well, you, you don't think he's going to say, do you? I, if I'm Harry Kane, I'm doing a Teddy Sheringham and getting a move where I can maybe win some actual titles. Where because I don't think he's going to do that under Tottenham. I think it's massively key that the coach that they bring in, if they don't go down Ryan Mason route, is a coach that Kane wants to work under. I think that's massive for for Tottenham this summer. I'm going to call it a day here, Rowan. I really appreciate your time on the the Fancast pre-match. Uh, this evening. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? Obviously, one last shout out for your podcast that's going to be starting up soon. Yeah, I'm going to start uh, that very soon. Shout out to them for helping me with the podcast. I really appreciate the uh, the guidance you've given me. Um, yeah, so the Ron Ricketts show. Um, I did a few episodes uh, last year, and but then I stopped it. Uh, but now I'm going to be picking up regular. I'm going to be doing stuff like there's going to be interviews. There's going to be weekend reviews where I'm going to give my opinions in short, short kind of a bursts. Um, then there's going to be more in-depth stuff. I'm going to be talking about finances with players. Um, there's going to be a lot of stuff that I'll be discussing. And not versus football. I'll be talking about other stuff that are outside of football. Because um, I'm a guy that's very curious and um, interested in other topics. Um, so there'll be a lot of stuff and... I speak uh, fluent Spanish, so I'll be speaking to some people in Spanish. Um, yeah, so make sure you subscribe. First of all, go to the Rome Ricketts, um, RomeRicketts.com website, and there you can subscribe to my newsletter, and there you'll get all the information. So the RomeRicketts.com newsletter, and um, yeah, and then I'll be putting my podcast. It'll be video, just like this is. And then there'll be the podcast version. Then there'll be an article version. Then we'll have little videos. So look out for the content. And when the content comes out, everyone, give me feedback. If you think it's garbage, say, Ron, that's trash. If you like it, say, I like that, Ron, and I like it for this reason. Because um, I want it to be for it's you. Working from my experience, Ron, if it's garbage, they'll tell you it's garbage. Social well, media is an unforgiving place nowadays. If, if it's garbage, you'll get told it's garbage. Love it, love it. I want, I want the honest truth because that's going to help um, take the product, take the content to another level. Okay, peace, my bro. I appreciate you. Now, thank you, my friend. Uh, stick with us, folks. After the break, we'll be discussing the Tottenham uh, Wolves game with the rest of the fan cast, offering our ball sports uh, betting suggestions and tips for the upcoming fantasy Premier League game week. Right, welcome back. Thank you to the absolute lovely gentleman, former form professional baller, Rowan Ricketts, for that very long, enjoyable chat this evening on this latest second part of the Fancast pre-match. I've got Kim Jordan and the newest addition to the Wolves Fancast. We've got Dan Butler at D Butler Analysis. How are you going, guys? How are you doing, Dan? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Thank you for having me on. 
nice uh, episode to, to join on on the back of um, Wolves beating Brighton, your hometown. What did you uh, make of the, the result on the weekend? Yeah, well, it saved me a lot of stress, I think, because uh, I'd have been hearing about it if we'd lost that one. Um, yeah, it's difficult to look too much into it because obviously they've had um, 10 men for a lot of the second half. But um, yeah, look, three points on the board, I guess. See yeah, another um, another three points further away from relegation, where a lot of the uh, Fancastrians thought we might have been heading this uh, this summer, weren't the Jordan? Well, let's quickly jump back to the Brighton game. <laughs> Morgan Gibbs White got the winner. What did you make of his performance, Jordan? Um, I said on Instagram Live, um, showing with Luke and Russ on the weekend, that I thought it was a massive game for him. Um, he's had a lot of unfair criticism, I think, in terms of um, all down to his social media stuff. Again, 20-year-old lad, do what you want to do, but if you're not doing it on the pitch, he's always going to have his faults and his haters, I guess. Um, I thought he had a, his best game in the Wolves, best 90 minutes in the Wolves match in the Wolves game for me. Um, on the on the wing, he's, yeah, you know, he's not a winger. And the first half, I think he was let, let out to dry a little bit, but he still had a few nice touches and, you know, Join up the play quite nicely. Um, what really changed the game really was Troyer coming on and moving Morgan Gibbs right into a more central role. And for me, I think he was man of the match. And yeah, you know, I know he missed a, quite an easy opportunity, as it were, but you can't take anything away from him from the winner. He's really composed and put in the top bin. So yeah, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, a lot of unjust uh, flack for the lad. I'd, I'd hate for uh, people to judge me on my MySpace um, account back when I was 20. Who stood out for you, uh, Kim, in that win over Brighton? Um, I mean, obviously, Morgan Gibbs-White. I think even before his goal, to be honest, uh, and obviously the chance he missed as well wasn't great. But I think his overall play was very good, um, especially when he dropped into his natural um, sort of position just, you know, just behind the striker. Um, I suppose other than that, you know, Traore, when he came on, was great. Um, really sort of took the game to them then and they re- really were stretched. So I think at that point, um, you know, we were playing well, but we weren't creating chances. Um, and I think when he came on, he really took the, took the game to Brighton. Other than that, I'd say just generally, I thought the younger players who came in really did well. Um, I thought Ait Nuri did really well, had a great game and I'd definitely sign him. Uh, Vitinha again I thought did well as well personally I think yeah, again just that little bit of creativity the one the ball through to uh, Silver when he was clean through and, and dunk, took him down um, again Vitinha sort of you know coming up with a creative spark and I think a lot of the um, older experienced players in terms of like Neves, Vitinha I think and, and Cody actually I think they need to sort of step up because I think they're the ones that have been sort of having below-par sort of average performances over the last few games. Yeah, as I said, uh, important uh, win. Uh, hopefully, hopefully give us a bit of momentum going into next season. I thought um, the regen, Pacenti Lizarazu, was the standout player for me on, on Sunday. I think he's an absolute baller of a left-back. And hopefully Johnny will come back, but it'll be difficult for him to oust the young lad if he keeps continuing on the progress that he's uh, currently on. This week, we're heading to North London against former European Super League uh, competitors Tottenham Hotspur. 
what's our sort of thoughts going into that game? Uh, Jordan, obviously, we we drew one all earlier in the season. Uh, we were, I think we were unlucky not to win it in the end. I think Fabio Silva um, missed a good chance in the end. What's your sort of feelings going into that and what's your uh, betting suggestions via our friends at Boyle Sports? Yeah, so I think it's going to be quite um, an open game, really. I think that both clubs haven't really got a lot to play for in terms of, you know, competing for European football. Um, and Ryan Mason at the moment going in on a temporary basis, he's obviously trying to make a bit of a stamp um, on his on the role. So I think that he's going to be looking to play attacking adventurous football and almost got free hit at it. Likewise, um, I think we know sort of the way and the pattern that we like to play and we like to be on, play on the counter-attack. Um, but I think it's going to be a really open game. So, in terms of my prediction for the weekend and my betting uh, tip with our sponsor, Ball Sports, um, I'm going for Son, first goal scorer, and it, to be a two-all draw at 70-1. to one. So, Son score first, two-all at 70-1 to one is what I'm going with. Any sort of other... Well, we, we know you're not a massive... Uh... Positive Wolves fan at the moment, Jordan. Have you got anything Wolves back bet themed that our uh, supporters can bet on? Honestly, you're going to get me lynched next time I go down to the Molyneux. Um, no, for me, I, I'm c- carrying on with the Morgan Gibbs White hype train. I think um, the goal's going to give him even more confidence as well. So if you want a bit of a bet builder and something a little bit outside the box, uh, I'm going for Morgan Gibbs White to score any time, over 3.5 goals in the game. And the and the match finishes a draw, and you can get that at thirty-three to one. Thirty-three to one, another nice, another nice tidy evening. Uh, Dan, your first sort of episode, uh, giving you betting suggestions. I, I hope you're not a gambling addict, and we've just forced you into this conversation. Um, where's your, where would your money be going into this game on the weekend? Um, I think I agree with what's been said, sort of thing. Really, I think I can see um, quite an open game. Um, I don't think they've really got much. Well, they've not established an identity under Ryan Mason quite yet. That's fair enough, obviously. He's only been there, what, a couple of games still. Um, I think um, I think it'll be a draw as well, like Jordan said. But I think unless Connor Cody wakes up Sunday morning and he's six foot five, we're going to have the exact same problems dealing with um, set pieces. Um, so I've got Alderweireld to score any time and the game to finish a draw at 66 to one. Nice, nice odds there. 61. Obviously, we did struggle the weekend um, dealing with set pieces, specifically on corners with everyone's favourite zonal marking. Um, Kim, what's your, fe- what's your feelings going into the game down at North London? Obviously, uh, I don't think we've really predicted a strong bet for our um, viewers yet as such, but this is the bet that I'm sure is going to be the one that wins our uh, viewers some money. What's that? Well, I can see quite an open game. I think I agree with you guys. I think um, obviously now with Spurs seem to be more of an attacking threat as opposed to when they they were previously under Mourinho. Um, And we do look like, depending on the team selection, I think we do look like we've got a, um, a goal in us. So I've got two bets. One is my saying what my head says and one is what my heart says. So my head says Spurs to win, Bale first goal scorer, and over two point five goals, which is thirteen to two with Ball Sports. Or a bit more of a punt, you've got Wolves to win, Fabio to score two plus goals, and over two point five at thirty 
33 to 1. Now, I always predict Pablo Fabio to score, and I think every time I haven't predicted him to score, he has, and every time I have, he hasn't. So maybe this one's a lucky one. Or a continued theme. Let's see. Uh, as always, I'm the one who's going to win the viewers the money with you with my standard bet small win big tip my bet is it's going to be an open game we all know that neither team are very good defensively I'm going Adama Traore to score the first goal both teams to score in the first half and the draw 100 to 1 bet small win big treat yourself on me let's quickly jump to game week 36 of the fantasy premier league um Looks like I'm going to be owing Kim uh, 20 pound come the end of the season because she's pretty much done and dusted in in terms of who's going to finish above the other. Jordan, I don't even know where he is. I can't even see him in my rear view mirror anymore. I think he might have quit Fancy Premier League. Uh, Dan, how, how have you fared this season at the Fancy Premier League? What's your team name and how have you fared, how have you fared points-wise? Um, do you know what? I started off slow, um, and then was sort of during the middle phase of the season was doing quite well. I'd sort of um, managed to get myself into the top 30k or so. Um, and then I think I wildcarded a couple of weeks ago, and it's all fallen apart. Um, so it's a bit of a rebuild job at the minute. Um, and a couple of money leagues I'm in, I'm having to try and restore a bit of pride as well after that. So, um, I'm having to play it a little bit safe, I think, this weekend. Um, I think Salah's got, got the Albion away from home um, and he looks a pretty good captaincy option. Where's uh, where's your captaincy armbands going uh, this week, Kim and Jordan? I'll come to you first, Jordan. Um, going with Salah as well, I think, in terms of, I just think it's, like you say, I, I'm playing for pre-season now. This is my mini, my mini pre-season. I'm bringing a couple of players and I'm having a look at them for next season. There's a couple who have brought in and have worked wonders. Um, and my little tip for next season for everyone is to bring in Kai Avert because he is going places. He started to hit a bit of form um, and he's my pick for next season as the star boy. But yeah, for this weekend, definitely going with Mo Salah. Jordan, you did have a, you, you were pretty um, high in the in the fan cast league. What what do you feel was the turning point? Was it the the double week with the Albion and Burnley defenders, or was there anything else that stood out for you? Burnley, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for anyone who didn't know, I uh, a wild card in. You know, I went Pope, Tarkowski, and Loughton. And then I also brought in Semi Joy for a three game wonder when Sam Big Sam come in. That's where it all fell though. Over to be honest with you. My declining form actually went in, coincided with Wolves' declining form. I was in the top uh, 12,000 up until October. And then it all went to shit, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I don't even know where I am now. I, I, it scares me to even look at the app. I wouldn't look if I wasn't doing this, honestly. It just broke me. Uh, so, yeah, Dan and Jordan are going with, uh, looks like Salah is their captaincy. Where, where's your captaincy on Mango going this weekend, Kim? So, if, if I had Salah which I don't, I probably wouldn't captain him, actually, because I think he'll get rested this week. I think because they've got Burnley two days after West Brom, I think it's his turn to be on the bench. So I will be going Kane captain just because I need to keep my rank as it is, i.e. I'm going for top 100k. I'm sorry, but it's got to be Kane or secondary son. Other than that, obviously Liverpool players, but I don't 
trust Jota at the moment, even against West Brom. So, yeah. I'd absolutely love it if Conor Cowdy keeps uh, your captaincy on the back of that attitude. <laughs> Carry on. That's FPL shit that is. Proper. I'll remind you of this conversation after the game. Um, Philip, Nat Phillips is a good shout at 4.0 for the rest of the season because it looks like he's going to carry on starting and they've got West Brom, Liverpool have got West Brom, Burnley and Palace in the next three. So that's a good cheap tip. Or Leeds um, players, they've got Burnley, Southampton and West Brom in their last three. So Dallas looks a good shout. He just, I wish I'd have kept him now. And obviously Rafinha and Bamford. So... I think we're probably all of the same agreement that Man United and Man City players are very heavy risk at the moment with uh, Europa League and Champions League finals coming up. My captaincy choice this week will be uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin at home to Sheffield United. I think he he's bound to score against them. I think he used to play for Sheffield United. It's just it's written in the stars. Um, Jordan and Dan, I'll come to Dan first because I prefer the name better. Um, who's your differential this week? Yeah, it's funny actually. Kim mentioned him in passing there, um, but I would have gone for Rafinha. Um, he's just back from injury. I think they're playing Burnley away from home in the early kickoff on Saturday, um, and then they've got a good run of fixtures to end the season as well. Um, he looks like a pretty good punt. I think he's quite about five percent owned, something like that as well. So yeah. Who's your uh, bargain basket purchase this week, Jordan? Um, so I actually made a transfer um, and brought him in as well. So I brought him in just for this week and for the end of the season. Um, I brought in Eberici Eze from Palace. So they've got a home game against the Villa. I think the Villa are struggling um, without Greenish. Watkins might be suspended as well, I think. Um, so they're going to be pretty shit. And I think that actually me, me laughing off that we could catch Villa about six weeks ago with you, Dan, is going to possibly bite me in the arse, to be honest with you. Yeah. Don't give this one down here, wherever she is. I think she was the only one who actually predicted we could actually catch him. I thought it was a bit far-fetched, but here we are. The Villa are on the ropes and that no, gap is yeah. becoming very, very short. I can see us not actually picking up loads of points. No, I can see us not picking up loads of points, but I think Villa are just on the downward spiral and they'll just probably lose that last three, to be honest. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. As you saw on the socials this week, we uh, announced news that this coming Bank Holiday Monday will be playing a charity match at Molyneux against the likes of... um, Opponents from Talking Wolves, uh, Dazzling Dave, um, Manny, Wondering Wolf. The list is growing day by day. Keep on the socials to, for more news on that. Hopefully, we'll be able to get some of you in the stadium. At the moment, there's restricted capacity due to COVID-19. But hopefully, you can help us donate into our official uh, charity for this event, which is um, Mind, the Mental Health Charity. Anything else, guys, you want to discuss before we go? Obviously, we've just um, there was an Instagram live last night with uh, Luke, um, Stu, Adam Price, and Emoji Ross discussing Man United ticket price and ballot system. What's your opinion on that? Did any of you three apply? Or I applied. Um, I applied 
just to see if I get a ticket, to be honest with you. Got priority three. It wasn't that arsed in going, but I thought, well, if it was priority one, I'd probably buy a ticket. Um, as soon as the ticket price come out, just not for me, to be honest with you. Um, I know people who, you know, like yourself, Dan, who, who bought a ticket and want to go, absolutely fair enough. Um, but, you know, I think everything's got its price. And for a lot of Wolves fans, I think that they feel like it is a bit too much. Like I say, I understand why people want to go. I understand why people want to not go. And people, are, you know, protesting might be a bit a stretch too far for me. But, um, yeah, ultimately, if if they sell the four and a half thousand tickets, they could charge hundred quid if people are going to buy them, and that's just the way of that's just the way of life. All that supply and demand. So, yeah, I'm disappointed about it. Do I think anything's going to change? Not at all. Dan, obviously a long jaunt from you uh, down south. If if a protest did uh, occur, would you support it? Uh, it might be a report supporting from me. Uh, from down here but um, I think what the guys have said so far about it pretty much spot on I think the club have just missed a trick really I think if we remember when the Super League stuff started up um, we got a really strong statement from the club about sort of the integrity of the pyramid and these things and, and I don't know if we were sort of lulled into a full sense of security about whose side the, the owners were on maybe and it leaves a little bit of a bad taste in the mouth when you when they're pulling this sort of stunt, um, they had a chance to show that they were committed to being on the side of the fans. And instead here we are looking at 45 quid a ticket for a nothing game. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say really. Kim, obviously you, you've made yourself um, very clear within the WhatsApp group, um, trying to instigate protests and just calling Jeff Sheal the names under the sun. What, what, what's your real thoughts on the situation? Was there, was there ever a desire for you to, to apply and get a ticket or was it a dead rubber game for you? Well, obviously, I can talk about this subject all night, so I'll try and keep it a bit short. But I think, for me, I think it's the principle of not not the fact that you know, you couldn't afford, people can't afford it. There, there will be some people who can't afford it. But what I'm trying to say is the value of that ticket is not worth 45 quid. You know, one, it's a nothing game. Neither team's playing for anything. Two, Man United will play their reserve team because they're in the Europa League final. Three, we've just come out of a, a pandemic. And four, 170k or whatever it is, if they they make that, if they sell the four and a half thousand tickets, is just it's nothing to Wolves because that's not going to change their transfer budget. Um, so I think I I wasn't expecting that it should be you know like Burnley where we're giving away tickets. I just think the value of the ticket is around twenty five thirty max. 20 to 30 quid, and I think no one would bat an eyelid. But unfortunately, there is people who will buy the tickets and we will sell 4,500 tickets, I'm pretty sure. So they'll continue to do it. Season ticket prices will go up and that's that, that's the issue now. We've got 14,000 people. Is it 14,000 people on a waiting list? H- however many. So even if people decide to say, no, that enough's enough, there's always going to be someone to come in. So it's one of those. I've calmed down about it a little bit from last night because I was never going to probably go anywhere because I want to go when back to the stadium when stadiums are full. But I just think, yeah, the whole principle 
you know, of paying that much money doesn't sit well with me. Is a is a person who's willing to spend forty five pound a mug, Jordan? No, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a mug. I think there's on social media there's a lot of I'd, people who are calling people out for wanting to go. Like like I say, everything's got its price, and I'm sure that if tickets were hundred quid, they'd sell the four and a half hours. If, if tickets were hundred quid a person, we'd all moan and complain. But I'm telling you now, they'd sell out Molyneux. They still would. It's just it's just the way. It's just the nature of the beast, and I think that. The sooner that fans come around to the idea that we're no longer the local fan and we're now a consumer, that, that's the way that Fosen are going to operate. They're a massive, multi-international, successful business. And the reality is they don't care if someone who's sitting in the South Bank has got a WV or DY postcode. They can cut, you know, they could come from China, USA, Canada, and that's absolutely fine to have international fans. That's just the nature of the beast of becoming a, a, a bigger brand and a bigger club. But they don't care about filling the seats with local fans. And you see that with um, fans of like Man United, Liverpool, your Chelsea's, who are complaining that it's now become touristy in the prawn sandwich brigade. And uh, with success, it's only going to happen even more and more for me. So it's almost like um, careful what you wish for, I think, in that sort of aspect. Yeah, I think every football fan across the UK, when certain statements came out from the um, the shameful six in regards to being called legacy fans, was <coughs> very, very upsetting to read. But on paper, that's what we are to them, isn't it? It's just uh, a legacy fan is a, is a mug that's willing to keep paying what they want to charge until the fans say enough's enough. And I'm not sure when that will come because... Football means a lot to certain people. It's a it's a passion for some, not just a hobby. Um, I've come to the, the conclusion that I don't really want to be paying £45, but it's an opportunity that I didn't want to pass up. I've been without football match day experiences for over a year now, saving the money that I've saved, not going home in a way built up. If I can't afford an extra £10 above the, the face value ticket, then... What am I really spending my money on? I'm happy to go. I'm glad to have the opportunity. I still think Wolves have the opportunity to um, improve on this situation that they've they've allowed to happen in regards to the overcharging of tickets. I hope something can be done, not necessarily from a financial point of view, but if this is the route that they're going to go down in the long run, the fans want to see players of that calibre of their hard-earned cash any other opinions on that? No, I think it's spot on, really. We, we, you know, £45 a ticket puts you in the 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 levels of what you'd pay for a ticket at, you know, the the, the big six, as it were. And um, I think that, put it like this, you know, first game of the season, next season in the year, we've got, we've got Man City at home. Wolves charge 60 quid a ticket. It's full capacity, no, no restrictions. We'd sell out. And that, but that's because there's enough people who would pay that. But like you say, the, the way the season's gone as well is a big factor. People are bored of the football. Um, and again, we've got you know we've spoke about it on the podcast and stuff of the reasons why that. And there are you know there are there are factors as to why the football hasn't been as good this year. But I think you know to, for the, the for the club to be charging the most of a charge for tickets in a nothing game with a team that isn't really performing to the levels that you'd expect them to be. I just don't think the value for money is there at 45 quid a ticket. And 20, 20 to 30 quid would have been enough. 
But if anyone wants to come watch our charity game, it's a tenner. I don't think it's going to be a yeah. tenner. Okay, uh, there might be more protests on Bank Holiday Monday. Fuck you know. Another point that about this, though, is that Wolverhampton doesn't have the money, people don't have the money that, you know, your London teams have. So almost comparing that with the fact that we aren't anywhere near as good, you know, for a sustained period, we haven't been anywhere near as good as, your, you know, Chelsea's, your Arsenal's, your Tottenham's. Everything's more expensive in London anyway, and people are paid more. But then, you know, in Wolverhampton, it's just not the case. So my point is not just about Wolves either. It's about like, Villa are charging the same, aren't they, apparently? They're charging 50 quid as well. So although obviously it's more annoying because it's the team we support, I just generally think it's a, a bit of an issue because it's not, it's not, it's just not right, is it? It's not right for people to charge that much even Tottenham they're charging like 65 quid you know given the the pandemic we're just coming out of I think they just could have been a bit more yeah fair on on, on pricing is is there no sort of um reasoning to the fact that Wolves were one of a handful of clubs that furloughed all their staff with full pay for as long as they did um does the fact that they're multi-billionaires mean that they have to charge less what's your opinions on that dan i don't know whether the whether the the finances of the of fosum themselves should affect how much we're paying i think i'd say on a slightly different tangent i think the most disappointing thing i've seen so far is so it's been quite a lot of posturing on social media about this whole thing and i think i think there's probably a majority of people who don't agree with it um but I think the more disappointing thing has been people who are happy to pay it, which is absolutely fine, either digging people out who don't want to or taking people to task on other points to do with not being able to pay it. And I just think, as as Kim rightly said, Wolverhampton and London, totally different places, totally different people, and people in different amount of money and resources to be able to get to games. It just, I don't know, it feels a little bit like again going back to the super league thing the strand that ran through that was that ultimately those owners didn't care whether it was local fans or it wasn't and the clubs who weren't part of the breakaway six were supposed to be showing this united front that they do care about their local fans and they do care about the history of the club and stuff like that and ultimately this has shown the complete opposite and that's to me another one of the most disappointing parts about it really what's I'm just going to quickly just put um, you three all on the spot with just a quick figure. What's when is enough enough from a financial point of view? It's one of those, isn't it? Really, like like sort of said again, it's that if you're looking at it from a purely business model, supply and demand. Like we've got over seven hundred fifty thousand Twitter followers on social media worldwide. We've probably let's just say I've got three quarters of a million fans worldwide. It's probably is more than that. They know every week they need to fill the stadium with 26,000 fans. So that price point is going to just keep going up and up and up until there is a bubble burst. And this is where you look at, you know, sort of the foreign leagues where they've, we've such envy, like the Bundesliga and the German clubs have got it spot on. 
like 20 quid 20 is plenty and you know they're watching you know buy munich that season tickets you get season ticket for less than 200 quid for an adult you know and like you compare that to like arsenal and tottenham's where they spend you know charging over a grand for a season ticket i know we're not there yet but i can see within the next sort of five years wolves trying to get to those levels of you know a thousand pound season ticket and again what's going to happen is they've got how they'll see it at the minute is those season ticket prices will carry on going up and up, up and up because they've got over 10,000 fans on a waiting list. If I think there's 18,000 season ticket holders at the club at the moment, they'll just keep swapping them out because if people drop out, like Kim said, I don't want my season ticket anymore, it's too much. Joe Bloggs will have it instead on the waiting list. So that's where the problem is at the minute. What they're the foes are seeing Wolves as a club, it's never been as good. There's net, you know. There's a massive buzz around the club, or at least there was until this season where it's died off a little bit. Um, they just see it as we've got 14,000 people waiting in the wings to come and fill one of those seats if you don't want to. So, quite frankly, they're going to think tough shit. So, it, yeah, like I, I don't think it's going to be enough to make a dent in it really by a few fans saying, I'm not going or I'm not willing to pay that because the prices, are, you know, seeing tickets, that, that, that email's coming out soon. And I think it'll come out the same time as the Man United ticket prices, if it wouldn't go down like such a, like a fucking shit, basically. So that they're going to come down, and I can guarantee you that ticket cash they've kept from everyone, that's going to be a season ticket price increase, and it's just going to be swallowed up for a season. They'll be recognising that money, and uh, you won't get that back. Do you, know what the sad, do you know what the sad thing is? That... You and from the jewelry court, and you're telling me about people from Wolverhampton being able to spend money. That's a sad <laughs> thing, yeah. No, well, this is quite a serious point, actually. That when you said when is enough enough, sadly, I would probably never stop going until I physically couldn't afford it. And that's quite sad because I think most, a lot of fans are that attached to going and watching Wolves that until you physically can't afford to go anymore, that you'd moan about it, like what I have now. And obviously, yeah, this is different because it's a one-off game and I haven't been all seasons, so I've kind of just written it off. But next season, there's, there will be a price increase, I'm pretty sure of it. And a lot of people will moan, I'll moan, but I'll still pay it, you know, until we get to like, I don't know, if, if, it's, if Jordan's right and we have to start paying a grand in like five seasons time then you might have to think, is this just getting stupid now? Um, I can't see, you know, them ever, us ever paying a grand for a season ticket more Rampton personally. I just can't see it unless we suddenly become Man City overnight. What it, happens is... Man, sorry. Man City's on, are they? A grand a season no, ticket. But what I'm trying to say is, sort of what Dan alluded to earlier, that how they're viewing us at the minute is they're not comparing... What are Albion charging to Villa charging to what Blues are charging? They're, charging, they're, they're basically comparing us to the Premier League, and there's obviously been a gap analysis of what the cost is, and that's what how they're pricing it. So, if Fosen believe we're uh, um, going to be competing for the Champions League within, you know, when they come over, you know, when they took us over in ten years, I truly believe that they're going to start modelling everything on these Champions League clubs or European clubs where. You know, and they're all charging a grand a season to get Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham. I know Man City aren't, but theirs is going up all the time. And I just think it, I just think that those prices are, are coming, unfortunately. And um, if you don't like it, someone else will pay it. That's just, that's just literally it. 
Thanks for uh, viewing and listening, everyone. You can catch the our Instagram live still uh, on our IGTV section of uh, at Wolves Fancast. Uh, Dan released an article earlier on this week on the Wolves Fancast website. Do you want to give everyone just a brief um, rundown of what that was involved, Dan? Uh, yeah, it's just sort of taking a look through the data and um, trying to sort of pluck five names from from European sort of the top five European leagues. Um, we could probably partner Nevers in midfield next season. Um, sort of looking at where we've been going wrong this season and, and sort of the, the profile of player we might need next year. Um, I think I know there's been some talk about Nevers not being here, but. I, think he'll be absolutely fine but I think it's more likely that Moutinho has moved on because of his age and still not sold on Den Donker so um, yeah I thought it was worth having a look at sort of what kind of midfielder can take us to the next level. Cool so as, you, as I said you can catch that at the Wolves Fancast uh, website and uh, Dan's social media page at D Butler Analysis on Twitter. Uh, guys thanks for for coming on again this evening. We'll be back again next week to discuss hopefully Wolves win at Tottenham and the upcoming game against the Toffees Everton. Bye-bye for now. Bread Isle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified.